Hey, good morning. Good to see everybody today. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at New City Church. I just want to do a couple of announcements before we get into time in God's Word. First, um, right after our service today, if you're part of our kids' ministry in terms of volunteering uh, and in leadership of that, we would love for you to come to our lunch afterwards because our new children's ministry director, Rochelle Wood, is going to uh, talk about some stuff with us and have a, a great time of food and fellowship and and just getting uh, on the same page w- with each other. So we'd love for you to be a part of that. And then next week, as you can tell, we love to eat. Um, we got Thanksgiving feast coming next week. So uh, there's a lot of information about that on the city, I believe. But we need people to RSVP so we know exactly how many mashed potatoes will be here. So please make sure that you RSVP. And we'd love for you to be a part uh, of that. So um, actually, we're, we're cooking turkey and mashed potatoes. So you need to bring a, a side dish. Is that right? All right, cool. Side dish. Uh, mac and cheese would be great if, if you're taking orders. Okay, um, if you're new with us, definitely want to welcome you today. And please fill out the Connect card that is in front of you in the little pocket in the chair. Or you can go to our information table and get one of those Connect cards. We would love that you are here. And we'd love to be praying for you. Uh, if you have prayer requests and get any information to you that you might need um, as you check out our church. So please do that. A lot of other stuff in the weekly. I'm going to move on to our time in God's Word here, but please read all all the goodies in the weekly so that you know what's coming up. It's the holiday season almost upon us, and we'd love for you to be a part of what's going on here at New City Church. So would you stand with me? And we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 19 today, but I'm just going to read the first five verses uh, of this particular chapter. These are the words of God. About that time... Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending uh, intending after the Passover to bring uh, him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Let me pray for us. Father, it's great to be uh, with fellow believers. And uh, it's great to be with each other today as we look at your word. Uh, Your word is truth. It is the only book on the planet that claims to be the word of God, to be the authoritative word of God. And not only that claim, but to have proven that through historical Uh, facts, through the completion of prophecy, through the promise and coming of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, so we can believe what you have to tell us. We can believe your word. Pray that today as we look at prayer versus control, that you would uh, give our hearts something to think about, that you would change us on the spot, that we would become new people who believe and trust in you with a greater uh, level of trust, not because we have manufactured it in and of our own selves, but you have given it to us, and we've appreciated that gift, we've received it, and we have rested in it. Pray for those who are hurting, whether it be illness. Um, I pray for those who are hurting with relationships. Uh, I pray for the church in Texas who, maybe even at this very moment, is worshiping you, Uh, After such a horrible tragedy, uh, they've come together to worship you today. Pray for your peace, your patience, your kindness to 
uh, overwhelm them. And uh, I pray for that for all of us as well here. Uh, We thank you for our time and your word today, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. I don't know if uh, many of you have met my wife, Kristen. Um, She is the most sanctified of all the Carlsons, and certainly uh, one of the two most beautiful, the other one being my daughter, Ava, of course. Um, But Kristen, my wife, has been preaching the gospel to me for the past few weeks, And the reason why is I do uh, coach a youth football team. And, you know, it can get a little stressful. We're we're, uh, in a competitive league, and um, we have the opportunity tonight, if you're not doing anything at 445, um, you can come watch us. But we have the opportunity tonight to play in our championship game. So it's going to be a fun fun night. But there's been a lot of stress with that. And I don't know if you've been a coach before or been a leader of something where, you know, every week – you are tested and you have to come through and you have to, you know, do the best you can to put a plan together. And you start to get anxious and you start to worry and you start to trust more in yourself um, and less in God because you think you can control that. And if you just think of how even just a youth football team, there's 23 different players and all their families and all the fans and all the different aspects of the game. And you can't control that kind of thing. It's, it's crazy to think that, that you can And so my wife, over the last several weeks, God bless her, the most sanctified of all of us, um, she has has just said this phrase to me, been preaching the gospel to me over the last few weeks, and she says this, Aaron, God has a plan, trust him. God has a plan, trust him. Um, A few years back was another tough season in my life, not related to youth football, even though we'll talk quite a bit about that this morning, uh, because it's here. Um, but a few years ago, I, I was going through enough, uh, another tough season in my life. And it was that time where the phrase, keep calm, uh, keep calm and carry on. If you remember that phrase a few years ago. And, and I thought about that. And I had someone even give me a mug. There's nothing like drinking caffeine out of a mug that says, keep calm and carry on. Anyway, I thought of the word calm and I did this silly little acronym, and I guess maybe it's not silly, but for me, maybe it's silly for you, but for me, it was pretty powerful. The acronym CALM, C-A-L-M, Christ always leads me. Christ always leads me. That helped me during that time. And, and I know that all of us don't live that way 24-7. If you have somehow um, gotten a handle on your anxiety, your worry, your frustration, whatever it is, please write the book. I will buy it. Okay. I'll sell it here at the church. Okay. If you've never had that, um, you can, you, you're the expert. You should know how to write the book on, on overcoming that. But all of us worry, all of us have anxiety at times and all of us, what those two things are rooted in, all of us want complete control. In essence, we want to be, in some ways, the God of our lives. We want to be in complete control. And the worse things get, the more frantic and the more unstable we become if we're trusting in ourselves to be the God of our lives. And this passage today, we're going to talk about a great tool that has been given to us in the fight against feeling overwhelmed by our circumstances or what the Bible calls the world, the system of this world can overwhelm us. And we begin to feel that anxiety and that worry. And the great tool, of course, first and foremost, is that we have Christ 
who has been crucified, who has risen, who is coming again. And the old guys used to call that in, in theological parlance, Christus Victor. Jesus isn't going to win in the end, although it will be very much more seeable. We'll observe it. But he has already won. Okay? That's why when he said on the cross, it is finished, it was a declaration of victory over sin, over Satan, and over death. So we have Christ crucified, risen, and coming again, Christus Victor. But we also have something, and we're going to talk a little bit about this today, called prayer. Prayer. How's your prayer life? The discipline of prayer is greatly misunderstood and greatly misapplied, especially in the North American church, in the USA church. And it's a result of a very weak theological worldview of what prayer is. And it's also the result of a heart that would rather trust in anything except God. Let me say that again. Our misapplication and misunderstanding of prayer is a result of weak theology and a heart that would rather trust in anything except God. So what can we do when it gets rough? And what should we know and believe about prayer? And I'm going to insult you with my first point today. So I, I apologize. Not really. Tongue-in-cheek apology. Here we go. Prayer is for weak, powerless people. Prayer is for weak, powerless Have you ever heard that? Like... You've talked to your friend about Christ and you're a believer and they, why? And they ask you, why, why do you need that crutch? Jesse, the body Ventura has even said that. I don't, I don't respect Christians because I don't respect the crutch of their belief in, you know, Jesus Christ being God and their desire to pray to him. It just is a weakness. Prayer is for weak and powerless people. It sounds like a little like an insult, but it's not meant to be because this is the truth. We are all weak, but we don't recognize it. We are all weak, but we don't recognize our weakness. Here we go. Youth football story number one. Okay. There's a young man on our team and early in our season this year, he asked, he came up to me and said, Hey coach, can we pray before our games? And you know, for him to ask that, this is a 12-year-old young man. He's new to our team, and he came up and asked that question. That's not a very culturally savvy thing to do or to request. And the reason is, I think culturally, we think of football players and other people, but in particular football players, as these tough, rugged, um, self-reliant individuals. The, they're strong, they're big. We're football players, and we can take care of ourselves. And I think of this young man a lot when I think of we're all weak, but we don't recognize our weakness because as one of our better football players on our team, he realizes even in something as maybe trivial to you, but very important to him in his football, even though he's a great player, he wants to ask God to bless that football game, to protect people from being injured, to give glory to him. And uh, I think he understands even at that young age that he is weak and he recognizes that he needs the Lord. He needs God. Paul's words later in the New Testament after the book of Acts, um, he tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, he says that we are to pray without ceasing. 
And I don't know if you've tried that. Literally, it's very difficult to do. Some monks used to do that. And they would sit in a room with robes on, chanting prayers all the time until they would pass out from weakness. And then when they awoke, they would do it again. I don't think that's exactly what Paul was getting to. He was talking about pray without ceasing, uh, meaning continue to pray, continue to bring things to God because words in the context of our need to know Jesus uh, and be centered on him in all things, it happens through prayer. Like prayer is a declaration of your weakness. Let me just put it that way. Prayer is a declaration of your inability to control everything in your life. And it's a trust and a relinquishing to Jesus a control. We look and see this in the first five verses of this chapter. It talks about in the very beginning of this that violent, the, the violent hands or Herod wanted to lay violent hands on the church. And he grabbed James, who, by the way, was part of the inner circle of Jesus Christ when he was here, and he had him killed. And so now he's coming after Peter and he's persecuting the church, the new church that was just, you know, a few months old at, the, at that time. He wanted to kill. He wanted to kill James and he killed James and he wanted to get a hold of Peter and kill him as well. Um, just as an FYI. And this goes back to why I believe that we don't understand prayer. Prayer is not some sort of magic, and we'll talk about this, magic incantation that you say the right words and you get exactly what you want. Prayer is not you, you know, turning the lever of the vending machine of God to get something that you want. And that goes for leadership. Sometimes leaders might feel in the church, they might feel that they're, Hey, you know, I'm going to be in the background. I'm going to be the one that is spared from persecution because I'm the most holy of, of the people, you know. And that is not the way that, that prayer works. Anybody, including the leadership in a church situation, is just as vulnerable as the rest of the church. There is no special protection promised by God. As a matter of fact, usually leadership is the one that is persecuted the most or is out front of the persecution. And killing James, the, the killing of James by Herod, pleased the Jewish people so much that Herod said, I know what, James was part of the inner circle. What if I go get the guy, Peter, the leader of the church, the number one dude, I'm going to arrest him and I'm going to kill him also because the Jewish people who I'm overseeing and ruling will be so happy with that that they'll really think I'm a great guy. So Peter is arrested. Now, the normal response when persecution comes to a church is to run, is to hide, and is to disassociate from that place or from that group of people. And when you're doing that, you're really disassociating from the Lord himself. Do you remember Peter's betrayal? Right? It got really hot in the garden. And the soldiers come and they're coming to arrest Jesus to take him to be killed. And Peter lops off the ear of the, of the guard or the Roman soldier and Jesus heals the ear. But shortly after that point, Peter gets really scared and he runs, he hides, and he betrays and disassociates himself from the Lord. 
Peter is guarded by a lot of soldiers when he's arrested by Herod, and they hold him during this thing called the Passover, which is a sacred celebration of the Jewish people. And they're going to bring him out after the Passover to be killed by his own countrymen. And all this done by the the Roman guards and, and the Jewish people at this time, all of that was meant to show the other believers in Christ that they were powerless. They had no ability to control this situation. They wanted to intimidate them and lead them into fear, which would lead them into turning their back on Jesus Christ. I mentioned in the prayer that I prayed just a few moments ago that there was the church in Texas this last Sunday where a gunman came in, apparently an atheist, apparently hated Christians, and he killed 26 people and wounded others in a church. And his sole motive, even though we don't know exactly what it is, we can kind of guess that he had blood on his mind, he had hatred in his heart, and he wanted to kill Christians. Do you know that that church, even this past maybe Thursday or Wednesday, the pastor came out and the leadership of the church came out and said, we're going to worship this Sunday, November 12th. We're going to worship the God who who was there with us, who is still here with us, we're going to have a worship service. Now, my question, and maybe your question, is where does that mentality, where does that attitude come from? How is it that even the pastor's daughter is shot down by this crazy man, this angry, bloodthirsty, crazy man, And he has the ability to say, as a church, we are going to worship this Sunday. Where does that come from? Let let me suggest to you, actually let me tell you what, what I think, where it comes from. It comes from the same place where we'll see the first century church respond to the arrest of Peter here in a moment. It comes from a trust in a sovereign God who has a plan. It comes from a God who is in control of all things and he has a plan. That is the only way, no matter if you believe in Jesus or not, that is the only way that you can get through some of the evil, horrible, disgusting, despicable things that happen in your life and in the lives of other people. That there is a God who has a sovereign plan. He loves me. He has offered his son Christ as a sacrifice for my sin. He has a plan for my life. This early church in the first century just loses its leader. He's arrested and he's going to be dead in a few days. What's their response? Let me read it for you in verse 5 of chapter 12. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Folks, when you read the Bible, just know that even though we have an English translation of the Greek manuscript, every word is there for a reason. This church earnestly prays. This word earnestly in the original language of the Greek means four things. Their prayer was constant, continuous, fervent and eager i can't get that fourth finger eager sometimes it sticks sorry about that constant continuous fervent eager 
Let me offer you an insight of what's going on in the hearts and lives of the first century church. Because I know this. Prayer does not come easy to many people, if anybody. Prayer doesn't come easy. And many times we have a short-sighted view of what prayer is. And we utter these short phrases to God. And they're very short, very sporadic. They're certainly not constant, continuous, fervent, or eager. And then when, quote-unquote, nothing happens, we start to not trust in the God of the Bible. Like it is some sort of magic incantation that we'll just utter that phrase and God will produce magical results. That is not how prayer works. Prayer is not a magic incantation. Prayer, and this is the one thing, if you listen to anything, listen to this. Prayer is you getting to know the nature and character of God in a very personal way. Prayer is not just a conversation with God, even though that's what it is. It is you getting to know the nature and character of God in a very personal way. If you want to get to know someone and how they work and the mysteries of what they do in the cosmos, okay? This is the creator that we're talking about. If you want to get to know someone, wouldn't you pursue them in a constant, continuous, fervent, and eager way? Okay, these people were eager to get to know the will of God in this impossible situation. It wasn't enough to utter up a phrase, God, please give me the BMW I just drove by. It didn't happen. I guess God doesn't love me and I can't trust him. There are more serious things than you praying to God just for blessings, even though I pray for blessings all the time. I pray that my family will be blessed. I pray my friends will be blessed. I pray our church will be blessed. Sometimes we need to sit down constantly, continuously, fervently, and eagerly praying to God so that we will get to know His character and the way He operates sovereignly in this world. Like, you know, tough love, okay? And... I don't do tough love very much, right, Pastor Andy? Okay, tough love. When something has happened in your life that you don't understand, that you can't believe God allowed to happen, have you responded with constant, continuous, fervent, and eager prayer? That was the response of these people in this situation. And I love the last two, fervent and eager. Okay? They weren't eager for some miraculous thing that they thought was supposed to happen to happen. They were eager just to see what is God going to do in this situation. Can you imagine these people in Texas right now praying fervently and eagerly? God, we are devastated. We are at the end of ourselves. We can't understand how a little church in a little town where people you know, do potlucks and love each other and try to care for each other and sing and hear God's word. Why in the world is our church the one where 26 people were mowed down? Why? But we're eager to know why. We're eager to somehow see something come of this that will glorify you and will make this place uh, more reflective of your kingdom. 
That, my friends, takes earnest prayer. Constant, continuous, fervent, and eager. Second teaching for today, verse 12 through 17. Weak people have a strange response to answered prayer. Okay, I'm I'm continuing to insult. It just seems to be the way we're going today. Now bear with me, it's not an insult, I promise. Weak people have a strange response to answered prayer. Verse 12. Verse 12 of this passage um, reads this. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where, where, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were what? Praying. They're still praying. This church is still praying. And we see that and we're like, man, what a faithful group of people. They are still earnestly praying days after Peter's imprisoned, condemned to die. Now Herod's probably coming for them. They're still praying. They're still uh, earnestly wanting to know what God has. It's every day. Good for them how faithful they are. But wait a second. Wait a second. Maybe this is reflective of you. Verse 14 and 15. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, uh, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported to the people who were praying that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. Wait a second. You were fervently, eagerly, constantly, continuously praying for God to do something in the situation. We don't know what it's going to be, but we're eager to see it. And here Peter, you can read about it in 6 through 11, is released from prison miraculously. He walks by the guards who, you know, he thought it was a vision. It was so miraculous that Peter thought he was having a dream, a vision. He escapes from jail miraculously. He comes to the place where they're praying for exactly what happened to happen, happened. I think I said that right. Okay. And their response, when they hear that Peter is there, you're out of your mind. We've been praying for days. We want Peter's life to be spared and to be released. We want the persecution of God's people to stop. We're praying for all these things. Peter is released miraculously and standing at the gate. And our response is, you're out of your mind. Have you had that response before? God, I'm in it deep. I don't know where you are. I don't know who you are. I don't know how you're working through this situation. This seems to be an evil that cannot be conquered in my life. It seems to be something that I will never be able to overcome. It's an impossible situation. Please deliver me, show me, guide me. And here comes God delivering, showing, and guiding. And he answers the prayer. And our response is, you're out of your mind. Why this response? Let me, let me spend a couple minutes here because this is important. Why do we respond that way? Because like the first century church, our hearts have seen the world and its evil and its pain and its suffering. And it is hard to trust. We've seen what goes on. We've been in those places. We've prayed those prayers. But there is a part of our heart 
that just won't trust the creator of the universe. Can I tell you that's understandable? Can I speak to you truthfully? I've been there. I've been in those moments of prayer where God has answered a prayer. Maybe not the way I wanted, but it's an answer. And it's his sovereign plan coming to fruition. And I have the opportunity to trust him. And the pain of the situation and the hurt and the suffering has caused me to back away. And it's been hard to trust. Second way, uh, reason why we respond, you're out of your mind, is because we question the wisdom of God's plan. Those are all, uh, that, that is for all of us uh, type A folks out there who have a life Excel spreadsheet and you have planned it out and man, oh man, have you planned it out well, right? You've got a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, a 20-year plan, and if God would let you, you would have an eternity plan. You would map it out for him, for you, right? And we question sometimes the wisdom of God's plan. In the little things and in the big things. And when we begin to question the wisdom of God and what he is doing sovereignly in the world, what we're doing is trying to bring back the control. I can't trust God. I'm, I'm hurt or his wisdom isn't what I think it should be. His plan should be this because I think it should be this. And he's not doing it the way I want. I'm going to question it. I'm not going to trust Why do people, you know, you might question the wisdom of why do people have to die for, for the name of God? Why, why do I have to go through this? Those people in Texas have to go through that. I don't know, but I can tell you with 1,000% of my being that we can trust God. Third reason our response way that we do or that we respond by saying you're out of your mind this is for a lot of us so so hear me out on this one going through the motions feels spiritual people are praying and they don't even believe they may not even believe that god exists or they might not believe that god is going to act in some way that is going to blow their mind and They're not eagerly, they're praying because the motions or going through the motions of praying makes them feel more spiritual. Folks, those are the kind of people that Jesus had the harshest words for, right? The religious people who did things solely to go through the motions because they wanted to feel more spiritual. That's control. That is control at its its greatest level. Now, God, because I've been in all three of these, and I know that God is gracious in dealing with my unbelief, my lack of trust, because of this. God is changing my heart. When you are saved by Jesus Christ, He begins a heart operation on you. First, He gives you a new heart, and then for the rest of your life, when you rebel against Him giving you the new heart, 
and you continue in sin and you continue to go things on, on your own or do things on your own and continue to want to control your life, he is doing heart surgery. And folks, sometimes like without the anesthesia, heart surgery would probably be really painful. And many of us choose that way. I prefer to choose the way of the anesthesia that God as I love him and serve him and read his word and I'm praying with him constantly, continuously, fervently and eager and he's growing me up and he's filling my heart not with making everything perfect for me but he's helping me understand that he has a plan and I can trust him. Man, the heart can get changed. We call it in theological parlance sanctification. Being made uh, separate or being made new that that the heart is changing and you're understanding things differently so god is gracious dealing with our unbelief because he continues to change our hearts even when we don't want him to second way that he's gracious is he has given us wisdom and explained it through scripture and the two things that we know most in scripture is we know who wins right jesus he's gonna win he's won christus victor And we know our mission. Our mission is a couple of of different things. To love our God with our whole heart, soul, strength, and mind. And to love others uh, like ourselves, like we would love ourselves. And secondly, to go into the world and make disciples. Right? We know our mission and we know who wins. That's wisdom. Third way that God is gracious in dealing with our unbelief is that God blesses loving obedience not with stuff, not with circumstances, but with a greater trust in Him. Last teaching. A few more minutes. Weak people without Christ take matters into their own hands. I call that control. Verse 18 and 19 are tragic because this is what a person without Christ does and responds. This is how they respond To the world. Now, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and he ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. This man, Herod, man. Don't ever name your kid Herod. I don't know any Herods, but that's not a good one, okay? One of the main idolatries of the human heart is control. Let me say that again. One of the main idolatries, the thing that you would rather serve and worship other than Jesus, is control. I'll do it on my own, and I'll trust in myself. Herod is the perfect picture of, of a person who, without Christ, is in control. He's going to do it on his own. He's going to trust in himself. And the response of Herod to Peter being miraculously let out of prison is the same response of those who believe in the howling void. I think that term was coined by a philosopher named Nietzsche. I'm not sure on that. So if you're a philosophy major, send the email to Andy. I heard about this concept in a movie called Greater. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a football movie. Shocker. And I cried a lot. And I'm not ashamed to admit it. 
And I'm not going to give the movie away because honestly, you should see it. But there is a, a scene or a series of scenes in the movie where this man who's gone through great tragedy is being tempted by this old man who I believe represents maybe the devil himself. I don't know. I can't quite get an understanding of it. But he's challenging the the Christian worldview that God has a plan and that we can trust him. And this guy comes along and he says, there is no God. There is just you screaming at the howling void. Man, I got goosebumps when I heard that. Because I know a lot of people who smile a lot, who have a lot of great stuff going on in their life and relationships are wonderful and they, they have a great career, whatever it is, and they're, they're surrounded by all the good things of life, or so they think. But there is no God. And they, in their quiet place, in the place where they don't have the distractions of all their stuff and the great things going on in their life, they are screaming, at the howling void. This is the response of the soldiers that didn't know Christ. When Peter escapes from jail, they are fearful. They're disturbed. We did everything we could and God still prevailed in letting Peter go. They were afraid. For the first time, their spears and their swords and all of the control they had over the jail and all these guards and the intimidation and Putting Peter in prison, God snaps his fingers, Peter's out. Man, I don't have control. The howling void says you do. The howling void that you're screaming at says there is nothing. There is no God. You're in control. You're the boss. When it doesn't go that way, I'd be afraid too. And then we see the other response of Herod, which is anger leading to bitterness, leading to murder, and leading to a great dark place. I call it unrepentant greater anger. Herod kills the soldiers because his plan was thwarted by God, and then he goes on vacation. That's a dark place. The heart controlled by the flesh will descend into the darkness, into the howling void, into lifelessness and despair, and ultimately eternal separation and torment. So will you be the one who in your weakness, Jesus is strong? Or will you be the one who relies on you? Prayer is trusting in one more powerful than you to deliver you, to grow you, to give you peace. And prayers of confession are the sweetest prayers. It's the admission of guilt. It's the admission of reliance on the grace and mercy of God. Make those prayers now as you come to the communion table to receive God's grace and mercy. If you don't know Christ... And you heard me talk about the howling void. And you're in your seat right now saying, you're wrong. There is no God, but I'm not screaming at a howling void. My life is fine. 
You know, Scripture promises me, and I trust God because God wrote the Bible. He inspired the Bible through the authors to write the Bible. And, and He's very clear in Scripture that we are really good at suppressing the truth. We're really good at thinking that this is the right way, the true way, and the way that I should go. And in fact, it's the howling void. Today I'm just praying that God's Spirit would move in your heart if you're in that place. That you would know that the God of the Bible is true. That Jesus came and died and rose again and is coming again so that you can have access to the Creator. You can have life with the Creator, but it's only through Jesus Christ. Relinquish control. Pray even in this moment that Jesus would save you and then come to this table. Take the bread representing the body of Jesus Christ broken for you. Dip it in the wine or the juice representing the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will know new life in Christ. You will know the grace and mercy of our Lord. Let's pray. Father, I am not the expert on trusting in God. Many times I'm the expert in me trying to control my life, to structure it in such a way that I don't need you. Even as a Christian, person who's been saved by Christ, there are times and moments where I go back to wanting to do it my own way. So I pray. I trust. I confess. And I come to this table thankful and grateful for the mercy of an almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere, all-at-once Creator. Thank you for sending your son to die for me. Thank you for coming again to take me and those who believe in you home to be with you forever. I pray that if someone here today doesn't know that in this moment they would be saved by Jesus Christ, they would respond, and they would come to this table receiving the free gift of salvation that you've given them. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.